Welcome. You are about to enter the Wooniverse. In five, four, three, two, one. Transport complete. Come inside a mystical, magical portal between worlds. It's all good, it's all God, it's all magic, it's all sacred, it's all quantum, it's all. Where playful curiosity leads the way and beyond. It's like inside of each of us is an ember, and I believe in the ember that remembers that place. You won't believe the ahas that come up in every single conversation. It just becomes easier to experience the positive because of how kindness feels. I can't wait to explore this enchanting space with you. Would you say, not to use the G word, but maybe we can, like, how has it helped you experience God? Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast coming to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine. You asked, and now the Wooniverse is answering. Welcome to Inside the Wooniverse Mailbox Edition. We're dedicating the last two episodes of this season to answering your questions. Let's get started. You've got mail. We have gotten so much amazing feedback and love from you, our listeners, our Woo crew. And wow, I am just so humbled. I am loving doing this podcast. And it's been blowing my mind seeing all the incredible comments and the feedback and all the listeners and the downloads. We've had thousands and thousands of downloads. It's kind of blown my mind. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you all wrote in with so many incredible and insightful questions, and I wanted to take some time to answer some of them. So here we go. So this question is from Sandy. Colette, I absolutely love your podcast, and I have a question about your conversation with Kyle Gray. You both spoke about your meditation practice, your chatterbox mind, and Kyle mentioned he uses a mantra meditation. For those of you who haven't heard episode three with Kyle Gray before, let's play the clip. You find too that uh, you you must experience the monkey mind every once in a while. Like I have a chatterbox that goes and I have yeah. to just let it go. Like it just has to go babbling away until it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's why the mantra meditation have, has become like a thing for me because when you're fixated on this, saying the same word over and over and over again, for some reason the monkey mind just like switches off. And it's weird because I start to go places when I'm doing mantra meditation. I'm still doing the mantra, but I'm like on a journey. What mantras are your favorite ones? So I I do the one Vaheguru, 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 Vahejiyo. And I'm doing that for like 11 minutes constantly. And what does that mean? It means, um, wow, great teacher within, the remover of darkness. Okay, Sandy's question is, Do you ever use mantras in your meditation practice? And what do you do to calm down your chatterbox mind or monkey mind? So I have quite a few ways in which I work in a meditation practice to calm that chatterbox of mine. Uh, One of them is to count. If I can't sit still or if I get very squirrely when I'm trying to meditate, what I do is I count and name what I see in my room. And I find that completely disconnects me from the over-analytical mind. I just say lamp, carpet, dog, dog, dog. (laughs) Usually there are three, you know, white chair. I'll start naming them and I'll say it out loud. And all of a sudden I'll get super calm because I find that really brings me back into myself and it just calms the mind down. The other um, thing that I do, I do have a mantra that I just say, I am safe. I am safe. I am safe. That's one I do. 
And another one is, thy will be done through me. Thy will be done through me. Thy will be done through me. So those are mantras that I say that are quite personal. And last but not least, I have a meditation practice that I actually have recorded, which is my chatterbox exercise. I teach it in my school at Oracle School. And it really is a way in which I can visually see my thoughts running around with sometimes with protest signs <laughs> or whatever they, they manifest for me, or they're like little gumbies running around at a beach or little crabs. And then I basically tell them that it's time to go back in the box. <laughs> and they do. <laughs> so I march them all out, let them run havoc around my internal beach. And then I say, it's time to go back in your box. And so they line up and they get in there and I close it off and I can feel the difference. So there's lots of creative ways that I work with to calm the mind. But I think that if you're going to adopt any, the quick one is to name what's in your room out loud and also to have a statement that you say, and I love thy will be done through me, which is the easiest and the one that makes me feel the best. This next question is from Bob. In episode five with Gabby Bernstein, you talked about bibliomancy, stichomancy, and tassiomancy. Here's a clip of us talking about these divination practices. Want to get super woo? Yeah, well, super woo, <laughs> please. Super woo with me. Let's go the woo. We're going to go in the Let's woo universe now. Okay, so stichomancy is the act of using a written body of work, like a book, uh, you ask a question, say you need clarity from the universe, right? And now you have your three books. So you figure that's like three different Oracle card decks. Which deck am I, which book am I going to use? So I'm going to open it up, close my eyes and just flip. And then you just read the page. One last time. Psych, yeah. psych, stycho. S-T-Y-C-H, stycho. Can I, can I count? Yeah, stycho, C-H-O. Mancy, M-A-N-C-Y. Like there's like uh, Tassiomancy is the art of reading teacups or coffee cups. Oh, cool. Which I know how to, which I do too. Yeah. So this of course is you do. basically <laughs> Gabby's book Mancy. <laughs> Gabby's book Mancy. That's amazing. Gabby's book Mancy. You could say that. That would be fun. You could make up your own name. Bob's question is, can the same be said about receiving Oracle messages from music and film? When I'm contemplating something, I seem to get answers when I turn on the radio and a specific song plays, or when a show comes on and a line or a scene in the movie actually speaks to whatever it was I was grappling with. Is there a music Nancy or a filmo Nancy? Typically, we call that a cleat-on where you receive a message. I'll give you an example. A client of mine was listening to the radio. It appeared that they were just about to have an accident in their car and Carrie Underwood came on singing, Jesus, take the wheel, right? And it came on twice. The boyfriend didn't like that music, so he changed the channel and went to a different channel and the same song was on there. So this client of mine was very agitated and realized like, oh my God, I have to... And she did, she had to take the wheel and there was a tractor trailer coming at them. So that was... A total message directed to her, but Carrie Underwood had no idea she was giving this oracle message. So that's why it's called a cleat-on. So a cleat-on is an innocent oracle, which means the person delivering the oracle, which is the singer or the writer or whatever, doesn't know that their words are impacting you in a way that could change your life. But I don't know, maybe there are names for musical Nancy and Filmo Nancy. Like, oh my gosh, I totally know this. So that term for that is actually called a cleat on. 
So here's another question about stichomancy, and this one is from Abby. She asks, do you have a method or a card spread that combines a card deck and a book to gain insights on an issue or question? If not, what would you recommend? Okay, so it depends on the question, I think. Say, for example, you wanted some type of inspirational message. So there's these great books, like Al-Anon has them, AA has them, you know, these meditation books. Uh, they come, so Unity Church has them. And you could do a card spread, ask a question, choose three cards, look them up in the actual guidebook, but then, you know, kind of open the book at any page and put your finger on the page that, you know, that comes up for you and then you'll get a second message. Another great book would be A Course in Miracles. So you could use that because again, you want to use a book where there are inspirational messages. You could also use the poems of Rumi or Hafiz. So just off the top of my head, that's what I'm thinking, but feel free to explore for yourself. I mean, you could use the Bible. You could use you could use a book that you know has really inspired you, like The Alchemist, for example, by Paolo Coelho. That could be really cool. Yeah, boy, I could sit here and think about that question for hours, <laughs> but I don't have hours, so. But those are some of the things that I would do, and I'm actually going to try it myself when I get home today. Okay, our next question comes from Farah. She writes, I love Inside the Wooniverse and look forward to soaking up the magic every Tuesday. The episode with Asha Frost really resonated with me because I personally use my dream time intuitive skills as a spiritual practice. And it was so intriguing to hear Asha talk about how her ancestors visit her in the dream realm in the form of animal medicine. Let's roll the clip and listen to Asha talk about her dream time experiences. I really like to listen. Like I like to practice listening and that is through my dream time. That's like a huge piece and part of my ancestors coming through with messages and they often come through in animal medicine. So I'll dream of um, eagle feathers or orcas or moose. Like they'll come through very particularly like that. My grandfather comes in a moose now. So I get to know my ancestors in just different ways. And then I speak to them every day. I do a prayer, usually in the shower in the morning, because the water is a conduit for that connection for me for some reason. And they will guide me in that way. So I think it's important that we just find our own way to speak to them. But they come in a very particular frequency, I guess. Like it feels like a rush of wisdom or it feels like a warmth or a fire that's before me. And I can feel that take over. My question to you, Colette, is do you use animal medicine in your spiritual practice? If so, what spirit animals show up to you in your life as ancestral messages? And I've noticed the big, beautiful white owl on your website homepage. What is the significance of your owl? Okay, this is quite interesting. So I'm going to say that I do not use animal medicine in my spiritual practice, but I acknowledge that spirit animals, because I'm an animist, they are part of my worldview. So I don't do ceremony around, you know, or use specific animal medicine. You know, the way I was taught it was through my dad. My understanding of spirit animals come from the Slavic traditions. And I acknowledge them and my animistic view. Of course, I believe that when they show up across my path, absolutely 100%. I pay attention. I do know that I have a, a group of spirit animals that somehow I identify with or they are very meaningful to me. 
but they're not part of my daily ritual and practices. I do, however, have a very big affinity for three very specific, I would call them beings, non-human beings, okay? Because I think animals are non-human beings, not really animals, right? So we could look at the dragonfly. I can tell you that the dragonfly has been such a huge part of my unfolding over the years from the time that I saw a fairy in my backyard when I was a little kid that looked like a dragonfly, but wasn't a dragonfly. I'll never forget that. It was a big one. I was like, what is that? Um, anyway, and it only happened to me a couple of times in my entire life. So that was pretty wild. And then later on in life, dragonflies would show up on very specific occasions to the point where I would know that if the dragonfly was there, it was very significant for me. That's that. My father, my ancestral connection is through monarch butterflies. Specific orange butterflies completely connect me to my dad. And on my mom, my ancestral medicine for my mother are ladybugs. I always know that my mom is there when a ladybug appears during a significant experience. So I know that that's like an exclamation point when the ladybug shows up, when something's going on, I have to pay attention to. So that's my ancestral connection. Of course, wolves, you know, the connection to wolves, if you go back all the way to the Slavic traditions, there's a belief system that the Slavs were descended from wolves. So that's kind of ingrained in me somehow that there is a mystical connection to wolves that genuinely is directly connected to my ancestral lineage. Um, the big, beautiful white owl has a story. <laughs> so owls represent wisdom. That is why the owl is there. We did a photo shoot with a genuine, ginormous owl that actually scared the shit out of me. And it was so big. His name was what, Mr. Snowflake. And the candler came. We wanted an owl. And there it was. I had no idea it would be that big. And it would have such a sharp beak and talons. And I was scared, but it came on my arm. And of course, it wasn't going to hurt me. But it was really trippy to see such a beautiful, incredible owl that had been rehabilitated. And it was an owl that actually could not be released into the wild. So this was from a rehab center. And they bring these animals to educate uh, young children about wildlife. So I was the young child and had this owl. That's So Mr. Snowflake, who represents wisdom, is on my website. Yes, the owl is very significant. Oh, I'm loving these questions. And we're going to get to more, but first, we're going to take a quick break. More mailbox questions coming your way soon. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to more mailbox questions you asked, and now the universe is answering through me. <laughs> this next question, it comes from Lorraine, and she writes, Colette, I loved your interview with Chris Ann, me too, and how you both discussed creativity and the process of receiving inspiration to create your respective decks. I know, wasn't that a great interview? I just loved it. At the beginning of the episode, Chris Ann shared a story about how she created her first tarot deck by photocopying a guidebook she found at a secondhand store. And uh, that's a great story, I know. So let's roll this clip of Chris Ann sharing this. When I happened upon a used Rider Waite Smith guidebook, 
in a used bookstore. And it was, I mean, there, were, there was no deck with it. It was just the guidebook. And it was this old paperback from probably the 70s. And it was all written in, all in the margins and highlighted. Like there was probably more information written in it than actually was in the published book, you know? Right. And I bought the book. I didn't have any cards. I found it absolutely fascinating. I started reading the guidebook. And then I actually, I wasn't allowed to have tarot cards in my house when I grew up. <laughs> and um, But I had that guidebook and I photocopied that guidebook in my high school library and made myself some paper cards. <laughs> oh, I love this. That was my first actual, like, I can pull a card or a piece of paper. <laughs> so back to Lorraine's question she asks, Colette, what were some early divination tools you made? So I played around with making my own divination, divinatory tools, actually two of them. One was when I got my hands on Ralph Blum's version of Norse runes. So I was obsessed with runes. And then I thought, geez, I wonder if I made my own little, you know, put symbols on rocks or things like that, that wouldn't be the same, but I could make up my own language because runes only had 24 stones, right? They only had 24 of these. um, I think they were clay. They made them, they came in a package or whatever. I'm sure lots of people know about that. That was the first time, you know, certainly in quote unquote, the new age where we were able to have access to this was in the eighties. So I made my own bag of stones, but I put nail polish pictures on them and I made my own language. Only I had 30 of them. So that was the first attempt I ever had at creating my own little divination system. The second time was uh, shortly thereafter because I was really fascinated with these together. The I Ching was one, the tarot was another, and of course, runes. Runes were the simplest, but tarot was complicated and the I Ching, well, just forget that. It was like very complicated. It's still today, this day. I know it well, but I would never call myself an expert. So I thought, what do these things have in common? Well, they shared something called a lexicon. They shared a vocabulary. Some were actually very limited, like the runes are limited. There are only 24 stones. You read them up or down and some people never do. Tarot had 78, you know, they were more complex grouping of symbolism that were steeped in medieval culture, right? So you got to remember where they were made. The more primitive one was, or say the eldest one would be the elder Futhark is what was called the Norse runes. And then of course the I Ching, which I don't even know how old it is. It's probably 10,000 years old or more. Um, But there was, it was called the book of changes. So I realized that it's about a story in motion. So I put together what I felt where they intersected, where all of these three divination tools intersected, that really is the basis of my lexicon for everything that I do. I have kind of like this mad scientist. (laughs) It took me a while to make it work, but I realized that there are these things they had in common. Here were the things that separated them. Culturally, they were all very different. So I made it for my use, my own psychological use at the time. I also, just to tell you how I did it, of course you asked me, right? I should tell you. Um, I put stickers on playing cards. So I took, you know, playing cards and I went to Grand and Toy was the name of the store it's in Canada. And they sold these stickers where you put them on labels to mail things, mail stickers. They were nice, like they're big and white. And I plastered those on the back of the cards. And then I put my symbols 
and maybe one or two words on each one of the playing cards. And then I would take, because I expanded it, I had to get like, well, I expanded one time to have 60, then I went to 52, then I went back to four. So I had basically two decks of playing cards and I mushed them together because it didn't really matter what they, you know, it was just how many did I need? And that actually became the template for the Wisdom of Avalon, which became my first published deck that was inspired by my most favorite book of my entire life and still is called The Mists of Avalon. And the first time in my life that I had seen myself as a past life memory and a complete and absolute knowing that I belonged there. And that's why Wisdom of Avalon exists today because of me playing around with innovating and trying to make something like a mad scientist. And that's what I am. I'm an innovator. So that is some of the early understandings that I had around divination. This next question comes from Rhea. In episode two with Abiola Abrams, you were both speaking about manifesting and womanifesting. And you said, relations are about service. It's not about getting, it's about becoming. We're going to roll a clip from this episode. Womanifesting manifesting is us having a relationship with the sacred because we are sacred. So it's not a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Here's what I want. Transactional relationship. It is a relationship where we are including altars and veneration, the, the dance and the poetry of our oracle cards and the communications that we are having with the divine. And it's a completely different thing, a completely different thing energetically. Uh I love that you put that in there because it is very much about the sacred and it's not about the form, right? It's really about releasing the form and really being reverent with the essence. And it's always in service. That's the other thing. Relational relations are about service. It's not about getting. It's about becoming, right? It's different. Yes. Oh my goodness. So Rhea's question is, can you please explain what that means and how that applies to the law of attraction? Yes. So if you think about your life, we're always stories in motion. This is something that I teach in my school at Oracle School. I always talk about being a story in motion. We are never static. So the law of attraction, I think when it was first initiated into our consciousness as an idea, was really about getting something. I'll never forget there was this one image in this movie, I think The Secret, where somebody saw a bicycle and they wanted the bicycle. So they looked at the bicycle, I want that thing, and then they got the thing. But that's so not correct. (laughs) I mean, that can be true, but that's not the best way to, to work with this energy of the law of attraction because, you know, the law of attraction is if we can become a self-actualized being, more spirit than human, we can magnetize into our lives the experience of abundance in so many different ways that we're not limiting ourselves to the concept of a bicycle, right? It's, It's really who will we become so that we could have an experience that may be different than what we could have right now. So I love to look at this idea of manifesting as part of a way to evolve ourselves from a state of being as to how I am now and who I would become in order, like who would I need to become in order to have the experience that I intend? So how would I evolve as a human being? How would I change? What would I need to no longer talk about? Like if I have a story about myself, what would I have to let go of? It brings in so many different beautiful elements and aspects of our own personal evolution in service to the whole. And that's the other thing I was talking about 
a relationship, because we, we were speaking about relationships too, about the idea that we're in service to one another just in the whole world. You know, each one of us is here, not as solo beings. We are here as social beings. So we are, we are social beings. We are meant to be together. We are meant to be in community with one another. So, and we're always part of a dialogue that needs more than one to be in relationship. So you're in relationship to another person. You're in relationship to a society, relationship to family, relationship to what you do, um, what you provide, and in turn, how you actualize yourself and to have experience with the material world. So that the end, so it's not the most important part, although it's still important, but your concept of abundance changes dramatically and radically as you look at the quality of who you need to become in order to have the experience of, and if, yeah, if you want to go back, have the experience of riding the bicycle. What if you don't know how to ride a bike? <laughs> right? Yeah. You'd have to become the person that knows how. <laughs> so I think, I hope that was helpful. I mean, it's a great subject. I could talk about the law of attraction for hours and hours and hours, but we don't have hours and hours and hours. So I'm going to move on to the next question. Okay. Now a question from Katie. In the episode with Abiola, she spoke about the honey jar as a way of creating a ritual to attract abundance. Wondering what rituals of abundance you like to do and that work. Okay, so I'm going to just call it out here. I love mind movies and I love vision boards. I actually have a vision board challenge every single year. Thousands of people attend from all over the world. We do one together where you put visual representations either on a digital board or like we're old school, we put it on a, you know, on a Bristol board and put it in my husband's office. We cut out and stick pictures on it and things. But whatever it is, is that having a visual representation of pictures and images that make you feel a certain way about the subject that you want to call more abundance in. So for example... Um, if you want a healthier body, I put in pictures of foods that I, I should be attracted to eat, not the corn chips. <laughs> There's no cake on my vision board, okay? <laughs> so, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that. And then my husband and I always have a picture of us kissing as a way to remind ourselves about our affection for one another or we'll pick pictures out of people holding hands or things like that. So, you know, a visual representation of how you want to feel when you are experiencing the abundance that you say you want to manifest. So that's what I do. But I have to say, I've done a honey jar now and it's great. I love the idea of the honey jar. So I'd never done that before. I'd never even heard of that until Abiola talked about it. So that was very cool. So if you haven't heard Abiola talking about the honey jar, head over to episode two where she fully goes through the entire ritual. It is amazing. Before we end this episode, I want to take a few moments to thank every one of you who took the time to rate and review us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to read some of my favorites. I just can't help myself. <laughs> They're so good. Mary C. writes, just what I needed, all in caps, FYI. This is the perfect addition to my spiritual journey. There is so much to learn and this podcast is helping me to discover so much about myself and the divine. Yay. CBR Fan 56 writes, thank you. 
It was so wonderful to listen to Colette and Asha today, to be reminded of self-healing and grounding. Inside the Wooniverse podcasts are touching me deeply as I relearn and apply lessons. Terry Ken writes, I'm not a huge podcast fan, but that may have changed now that I have started listening to Inside the Wooniverse. I loved the first episode. The quality of the podcast, the perceptive depth of the questions and answers, and the delightful interplay between Colette and her guest, Dr. David Hamilton, was fascinating from start to finish. I will be listening to more episodes. Five stars for me. Didn't you love those? I'm so happy. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a blast. You've been listening to Inside the Wooniverse Mailbox Edition. We'll see you next week. I'm Colette Baron-Reed. Until next time, be well. You've been listening to Inside the Wooniverse with Colette Baron-Reed. This episode was recorded at Wooniversal Network Studio by Chris Dupuy. A special thanks to our executive producer, Connie Deletti, and our producer and story editor, Julie Fink. Audio post and supervision by Michael Seifert and David Shaw at Sumo Recording. Original music written and performed by Michael Seifert. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or leave us a rating on our Spotify show page. Do you have a question about something you've heard here today for Colette? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at colettebaronreed.com and your question could appear on a future episode. If you love what you've heard here today, we have so much more to offer. You can access our bonus content, keep up to date with new episode releases, featured guests, and prize giveaways, all by clicking on the link in our description or by visiting us at itwpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you join us next time Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast brought to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine.